Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. Hey, it's Anna. This week, we are sharing an episode with you that I have never forgotten. It's a story that began in my inbox in Death, Sex, and Money's very first year and then took some unexpected turns. I hope you enjoy it. I realized while I was laying in bed trying to sleep how much fear I actually have. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. I often hear from guests after interviews, but this time was a little different. I was awake most of the night, and what little I slept, I dreamt of this. This is hard to ask, but I'm asking. Please don't use my tape. The day before, I talked to her for about an hour and a half. This all started months earlier, when she reached out to me in an email after listening to one of our episodes. I'm responding to your episode on cheating. As a sex worker, I play a role in cheating on a weekly basis. She told me most of her clients are married. Sometimes I think about the wives. I think about how they would feel if they knew where their husband was and what he was doing with me. Am I facilitating cheating? I guess so. Can I sleep at night? Mostly. In this first email, she was fairly unapologetic about the benefits of her work. Her clients leave with their sexual needs fulfilled. She leaves with money. It's sex work, and it's illegal. We emailed back and forth, and she said she wanted to talk with me about what she does for a living, as long as her identity would be concealed. That's why the sound of her voice has been manipulated, and we're not using her real name. This is Anna. Hi. So I'm calling you Emma? Yes, thank you. Where did where did the name Emma come from? I like simple names, and and I think I'm somewhat traditional. This was the first of several conversations between Emma and me. Talking about her work hasn't always been easy for Emma. At times, she wanted to scrap the episode, like in that morning after our first interview. But ultimately, she chose to share her story. And a reminder, she's a sex worker— So this episode is more sexually explicit than usual. Emma got into sex work after a divorce left her broke, and she had kids to raise. I had a lot of savings, and that basically all got used up. Emma had a job, but she wasn't bringing in enough. Then she met a woman who told her about a way to earn a lot more money. She first told me she did sensual massage. I had no idea what she was talking about. And she told me... You know, she really opened up to me and shared her story with me, which was very similar. Um, Had been married for 20 years, was going through a divorce. Um, Her husband wasn't able, actually had completely lost his income, and they had three kids. And she just kind of realized, wow, okay, you know, this might help. And she let me know how much money she made the first year and— and I, it just, this was at a, literally a time where within a month, I was not going to have any money. How much did she tell you she had made? Oh, I think she made um, 
she made somewhere between 150 and 200,000 her first year working. And that's doing sensual massage? Like what yeah. is what does that mean? Well, it's not it's not full service. It's not um it doesn't involve intercourse. No intercourse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's massage that's very sensual. Does that include oral sex? It it can. I, I think anybody can do whatever they want. If you were to go and Google sensual massage, it probably, it might not say oral sex, um, but it definitely happens. And it also definitely doesn't happen. It really just depends on the person. How long did you have to think about it to decide that this is something you were willing to do? Uh, not very long. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I'm very proactive and I'm, I'm just, you know, I can make, I just knew I had to do it. I had to do something. And it was a solution to my dilemma. Um, this woman was really wonderful. She talked to me a lot about it, and she invited me to come in and watch a session. And um, then this person that I watched offered to be a client and let me just try a session. And so, you know, I kind of just kept doing, just kind of slowly getting in there and seeing how it felt and making sure that I could do it. And um, yeah, and, and I could. Now Emma has a regular stable of clients. She doesn't have to see anyone she doesn't know. They're mostly men, and they meet her at a place she rents out for work. Yeah, it's in an area where there are just a lot of people coming and going and not really paying attention to each other. Um, it feels really safe. So what are your what are your boundaries? How do you describe that to a client? <laughs> Well, I say, you know, there's no full service. <laughs> and people know what easy. that means. Yes. Okay. I, um, I, I try and protect myself from, and you can hear even with the words I use, what it's like for me. You know, s some of my own personal, my private areas, I really would prefer that they just stayed for me. And um, so touching and so forth. And um, uh, that can be difficult, though. That's a hard boundary sometimes to keep. So you like to give and not be— I like to be... give. I like to touch. Yeah. Yeah. And not to—I mean, I, I love receiving massage. But, uh, you know, talking about sexually, I don't really mm -hmm. like to be sexually touched by other people other than my partner. That's um, a really—I yeah. um, imagine that can get— really um, potentially uncomfortable when you're thinking about, am I consenting to what's happening right now? It, um, you know, this is hard for me to say because I don't want to be speaking for all sex workers. So it's hard for me to admit this part of it. But um, for me, um, personally, that part of it, I feel a little bit like I'm violating myself. Mm. Because I am giving permission. I always give permission. Um, there, There is... I, I am never forced to do anything that I don't want to do. I make the choice myself. And there are times when I choose to let things happen to my body that I feel like I'm violating myself. 
And that's hard. That's, that's the hard part. That's the really hard part. And when it's mixed with money, I mean, I, I'm assuming that if, if you're going further than what you anticipated, does that, does that usually lead to more money? No, not directly. Not, 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 not in that, um, oh, now I'm going to get more money today. Um, it's more part of the relationship. Was your gauge for what felt not comfortable? Was it if you would get that creeping shame feeling afterwards? I only feel shame when I talk to other people. I actually had this woman tell me, um, I, I started charging immediately what she charged, and she, um, she said, oh, well, are you doing this, this, and this? I said, no, I'm not doing that, that, and that. I don't want to do that, that, and that. That doesn't sound safe, or that's not what I want to do. And she said, well, you never, they're never going to come back unless you do those things. And um, they're, they're coming to you now because you're new, but you're not going to be able to sustain yourself unless you do those things. So I did those things for a little while. And what's like a, what, what's an example? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> um, you know, like oral sex, uh-huh. um, allowing myself to be um, touched intimately, um, penetration, I guess, with fingers, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And the oral's a big one. I think that there's probably a big kind of separation between who does that and who doesn't. And I came to realize I don't have to do that. I'm actually worth um, – I can ask for what I want, and I can give what I want no matter what. And the people who accept that, that's who I'm going to work with. How much does it cost? I don't know if I'm comfortable sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you this, okay? I'm, um, I, I, I don't make anything like that woman that I told you about who I met in the beginning. I just do enough to get by. And then I have other work that I do that doesn't, you know, it's like piddly money. I want to talk about guilt which is how you yeah. opened your email to me. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're you're very aware that your clients are in relationships. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, their partners don't know that they're there with you. Mm-hmm. How do you feel yeah. about that? Sad. Really sad. I talk to my clients about, you know, this may sound awful, but sometimes... They will open up to me, and I'll co- I'll coach them on, well, you know, what do you what would you like your relationship to be like? And so many of my clients are coming to me, and for one reason or another, they're in a relationship where they're not getting physical intimacy. They don't get hugged. Nobody hugs them. Nobody touches them. Nobody looks at them and says, "You're amazing." And I get to do that. I get to give that to those people, and I love that. Are you still doing it for the money? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't do it for any other reason. (laughs) I mean, we all do our work for money, so that's just the way it is. Um, And, But if I didn't have to do it, 
if it wasn't the best pay by far, just so above and beyond anything else that I can make um, in the time that I spend doing it, I wouldn't be doing this. You're in a relationship? Mm-hmm. And it's a man? Yeah. So he's known the entire time that you're doing this work? Yeah. What's been hard in your relationship? I think the hardest thing for us is just that there are things that I'm doing as part of my work that are not authentic to me and that hurt me. And so I bring that home. I come home sometimes, and I'm vulnerable and weak, and I'm normally really strong and um, needy. And um, and also a little bit withdrawn. I have walls up, you know, protective walls. And so that can affect our relationship. It can take me time to let that down. Um, I might have some physical aversions. Like it, it might take me a little while to want to be physically intimate. Has he asked you to stop? No. No, he would never ask me to stop. But the next morning... Emma left us this voicemail. This morning, my partner held me while I cried and confessed all my fears. This morning, he asked me to cancel all my appointments this week. He's worried I'm getting too fragile, that it's getting to be too much. Coming up, Emma tells me what she decided to do next. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. After we recorded our first interview, Emma had a tough night. She was nervous about what she'd shared and haunted about what she'd left out. She sent us a long email, then called and read it over a voicemail, too. This is what I wish I had shared. I'm afraid. I'm afraid because what I do is illegal and because I have no voice. I can't reach out for support. I'm afraid of being caught by law enforcement. Why did I minimize that with you? I'm afraid of it every day. I'm afraid of having to defend myself, of being put in jail, of losing my children and my ability to support my family, my home and my freedom. I'm afraid of being physically hurt or killed. I'm afraid of running into someone I know or the family of someone I know being found out, turned in, stalked. Again, having my family impacted and losing everything that matters to me. 
I'm afraid of my clients finding out about the part that's fake. And I don't enjoy it all, that sometimes I'm grimacing, sneaking peeks at the clock. I'm afraid that someday I will forget to hold my tongue and shout stop. When she left this voicemail, Emma was about a week away from a planned break. After her boyfriend's request to stop early and cancel her remaining appointments, she did. I talked with her on the phone, too. We agreed we'd talk later in the summer, after she had some time to think about our conversation. When she called me later in August, she said she wanted to share the interview, if her identity was protected. She also told me she was scheduling new appointments with clients, and we planned a follow-up interview. I'm calling you Emma, remember? Yes, it's hard to keep track of all the different names sometimes. <laughs> can can we just go back to after the the first time we talked and did a long interview? What happened afterwards for you? Well, I didn't sleep that night at all. And um, I finally got up at, what was it, like three or four in the morning. I got out of bed. And I got on my computer and I started writing. And I wrote you uh, that letter. And, you know, I'd been working consistently for about six months, almost, you know, almost every day, seeing a client. And, um, like seven days a week? Maybe like, you know, five to six. <sighs> and, um, at least one person. It's just every day. It's just something that I know is going to happen every day that I'm going to do every day. And, and so it was, it's a long time. I never gone that long without taking a break. And, um, so I think it was already kind of, it was wearing on me. And then just after talking to you, I just realized how much it was wearing on me, how much I needed to get away from it. And, um, and I just felt sick. How did it feel to cancel those appointments? It was really hard. It was really, really hard. And I I wanted to. And yet I'm thinking about my rent. And I'm thinking about, I am already know I'm going to take some time off. I'm thinking about just the money that, that I lose just in one week. Uh, this was actually a big week because it was going to be my last week. So this week was going to pay, would pay for my rent and probably my utilities for a month. And that's a big deal to just walk away from that. So that's like thousands of dollars? You know, like a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah. And it's just me taking care of my kids. How much time total did you take off this summer? Probably two and a half months. How'd it feel? great. It was really good. I did a lot of writing and um, and a lot of reading. I've, I've started to do a lot of research on just the sex work industry and the history of it. But um, it felt really good every day to just not wake up with that, just that knowledge that I was going to go have an appointment. Did you miss any of it? No, <laughs> not at all. No, sure, the money, the income, the income. I miss the I miss the income, the the safety net, the the knowledge that as I'm putting money out when I'm buying my food, 
that there's money coming in to replace that. I mean, I, it is every time I get paid, I, I'm immediately thinking this is going to pay for this and this is going to pay for that. And when I'm not bringing in that income, you know, like this summer, I don't, I don't feel so good about, it's hard, it's harder to spend the money, it's harder, I, just every time I spend something, I have that little sense of insecurity and a little bit of a fear, like, am I going to be able to replace this? But no, I, I did, I didn't miss it. How did you know the time had come that you needed to schedule new appointments and go back to work? I came back, I mean, I did have it kind of scheduled, planned in my head of when it would happen. And what happened was I just kind of went almost to the end of what I had um, because I took that extra week and a half off. And so it was just fine because that was it. I, there's no way I'm dipping into my real savings that I have, you know, over the last few years. I'm not, I will not dip into that. Is that the, the how I'm going to stop doing sex work savings? Um, no. Yeah, I think it's the emergency savings. It's if something happens where I have to stop. If I end up, you know, if I get injured and I have to, and I have medical bills I have to pay, or if something happens to um, somebody in my family. I, you know, I just want to, I think for someone who has never done sex work, and to hear that that for you it's a it's a financial imperative, and then to also know that you have money saved, yeah, it might be hard to understand why you're you're continuing to do the work that that you because the money I save would last for maybe five months, and then what do I do? Then I'm in the exact same place, and I have nothing, and I have no cushion. Then what am I going to do? I'm going to end up on the street. I don't have I don't have an IRA. I don't have good health insurance. I I don't have anything. And um, so this is a job. The thing is, is that I think what's really important and for people to understand about sex work is it's it's a job. Why does anybody work at Walmart? It'd be great if we could all work specifically, and only it's something that we love and we're truly passionate about. And I think if you're young and you don't have kids, this is a great time to make that happen for yourself. But I didn't do that. I didn't make, I didn't create that career when I was 21. I actually got pregnant when I was 21. How did your first day back feel? It was actually really easy. It's funny because um, I didn't know who was going to be on the other side of the door when I opened it. So many people used kind of these generic names, John, you know, Tom, whatever. And and I don't, um, so sometimes I don't always remember just by that exact name, and I, I didn't bother to, to look. 
and see exactly who it was I was going to be meeting. I can't believe you didn't look up the nickname. Like, my God, I would want to know who I'm going to meet. (laughs) I knew it was somebody I'd been seeing for a long time. And I knew, so I knew it was somebody I was going to be real familiar with. I know that sounds strange, doesn't it? It sounds really strange to me. Except that this is the thing, is that you just, for it's so compartmentalized, it kind of doesn't matter who it is. I just go, I get there, and I, it's just, I open the door, and I, I just go into this place. And I, I, I get my stuff out, and I change my clothes, and I put my makeup on, and it's, it's just, I am this person. I am playing a role, and I have my routine, and... I know that I'm going to be seeing somebody safe. I know I'm going to connect with them in a certain way. You know, that's going to be fine. I know what I'm going to do. It doesn't really matter who it is. Did you have any different boundaries after you went back? No, no. um, I've probably maybe a little bit less. My boundaries might have opened up a little bit. Yeah, just because towards the end there, I was just so tired and protective that I kind of had, I was just like on a weekly basis, just limiting, taking, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And, um, you know, like my, my client said to me my first week back, you need to go away more often. (laughs) And because I was definitely fresher. I mean, I don't have... It's not like there's a lot of boundaries to play with because, um, you know, I'm not an escort. I don't do full service. And there's there's just a lot that I don't do. I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty just vanilla normal. And, um, but I was definitely more open and more um, just kind of, you know, certain ways that I wasn't allowing people to touch me anymore, that, that I, you know, was okay with. That you're okay with now? Yeah, I don't know how long that's going to last. <laughs> yeah. Have you had any of those feelings of dread since going back? Yeah. Oh, you know, it's it's hard to share these things because... I can see somebody listening and, and like, why would you do this thing when you have dread? And even I think about other sex workers listening to this. And, and that's kind of one of my fears. Uh, another fear with this interview is to have sex workers listening to me and getting mad at me too for representing the, the downside, the hard parts. But yeah, honestly, if I didn't have, if I didn't choose to do it, if I, if I wasn't doing it, I'd be, I, I just have happy days every day that I know that I'm going to go see somebody. I have some dread. It's usually before, you know, that, that once I'm kind of getting, once I open that door and I go into my routine, that, that goes away. But when I know it's happening and after that first session, when I got back, that, that, you know, that went fine. And I actually came home feeling feeling pretty good. And then my schedule was really filling up. It was like, okay, I'm going to see every, somebody every day this week. And this was Monday where I had the first person. And by about, probably within about five hours of coming home from my first session, I started to feel kind of sick. And really, like, oh, 
Every day. Every day. I mean, that was fine, but I have to do this every day. How am I going to do this every day? And and now I'm looking at another probably four or five months at least before I have a break. How am I going to do this every day? How long do you think you'll be a sex worker? I don't know. You know, maybe till my kids are out of the house. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard working on a, on more than one thing at a time, you know, because it takes time to build something up. So it's going to take longer. Do you have a, a dollar amount that you want to have in the bank before you stop? Is there is there a goal set? Well, not really in the bank, because like I said, I need to be making the income. Yeah. And um, I probably need to be able to make about 80000 a year, maybe ninety before taxes, um, in order to pay my basic expenses and maybe and be able to save a little bit. So if I can get to that point or I see that I could, if I was doing this other stuff full time, then I will. So, I absolutely will do that. So you mentioned taxes, and I just want to make sure I understand your sex work income. Do you report that? Um, I do. I do report it. I don't. Um, you know, might fudge a little bit, but I actually do. And it's just like like massage income. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, obviously, I'm not reporting it as what I'm doing, <laughs> but I do. It's important because it, it would leave me vulnerable if I didn't. I have I have rent. I have expenses. I obviously have to pay them, mm-hmm. so I can't have any red flags. And so I do. How's your boyfriend feel now that you're back at work? I think it's hard for him. I think he feels shame that he can't support me. We don't talk about it a lot, though, because I, he also understands just what I have to do. So we just do it. And and Emma, I just want to kind of hear you in your, your own words or say, like, why did you decide to talk to me? <sighs> Well, it all came up with the cheating thing. And yeah, and then when you asked, I think because I feel so alone, um, one of the things that's really hard is not being able to talk to anybody. And I'm, you know, I'm a mom. I'm around other women. And everybody talks about their challenges, the things that are hard in their life and things that are going well and I just have this big secret that I can't tell anybody and I think people need to know because there's a lot of people like me I'm I'm right there and you just don't know so that's why Coming up, we hear from Emma two years later about some big changes in her life. When it's time for things to change, everything falls in place for it to happen. That, that is just what I've experienced in my life. That is, that's how my life has always been. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. 
In the first year I knew Emma, she hesitated to put a dollar amount on what it would take to walk away from her sex work. So you asked me about how much money in the bank, you know, to stop. And I realized there that does exist. If I had if I had enough money to go back to school, like to get a master's, I, I would really like to get a master's or a PhD in um in psychology or social work. And if I had enough money to do that, and I had enough money <laughs> to live for the amount of time that it would take to do that, I would definitely stop. So there is a number out there. I guess it just seems so big that it doesn't seem like it, it even matters that it exists. But a year and a half later, when I reached back out to her, that number that felt too big to matter wasn't so far from reach anymore. We recorded this conversation in 2017. Hello. I hear you. Can you hear me? This is Anna. Yeah. Hi. It's nice to talk to you again. Yeah, you too. Um, so, um, so Emma, um, at the end of at the end of the episode, uh, when you were on Death, Sex, and Money, you had gone back to work, um, and you were talking about wanting to do other things, but not knowing how the finances could work. Um, what what's going on now? What are you up to? So things things have changed a lot. I have given up my studio and um you know basically retired from that business. I'm in school and I'm working on my masters. You're retired from that? Yeah. From that work? Yeah. Yeah. What happened that enabled you to do that? Well, just, you know, I had saved enough, basically. So there's that. There was that piece. And and then it just, um, it just wasn't working anymore for me. It was just too, too hard. Uh, just the inauthenticity of it. And I got to a place where I felt comfortable enough that I could take care of my family and um, and fund myself to go to school for probably a year and a half or so. So I I can basically go working half time uh, at the other work that I do and and get by. Can you tell me about? I think you know a lot of people do work for money because they need money mm-hmm. and when they get to the place where they want to stop doing that work, but they're trying to figure out if they can afford it and and doing budgets. Like, what was your process of calculating that you could leave this work behind financially? How did you you do just the nuts and bolts budgeting of that? Um, Well, I had an idea of how much money I need to to get by to be able to pay the bills and and then looked at the timing yeah, i mean it's it's just a spreadsheet really <laughs> uh, this is how much it's gonna this is how much it costs to live this is how long i need to supplement my income this is how much i need to have and this is what i'm willing to give up of my savings i guess that's kind of the biggest subjective piece yeah. is how much of my savings am i willing to give up how much how much do I want to keep in the bank, keep to protect me for 
an emergency or um, or retirement, you know, not having to work so hard. I remember that about you, that you, you like me, are um, a saver. And so yeah. the idea <laughs> of not having that um, safety net for yeah. whatever is it can be terrifying. So, like, did, yeah. did you, like, how did you, did it become a moment where it was just the emotions of continuing to do the sex work and the, the drain of that outweighed whatever anxiety there is around not having that cushion? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, think I have enough of a cushion. And it's a little bit different from that. Um, Oh, you know, how do I describe this? I I went into this literally um into that work with oh my gosh, I don't have the money to pay next month's bills. What am I going to do? And then within days, I spoke to this woman and learned about what she did, thought, "Hmm." And within 2 weeks, I was making enough money to pay all my bills. And that was the right thing at that time. Um, And when you and I talked, things started to shift and move in a different direction. And I never pushed it. Um, I just stayed open and started to just pay attention to possibilities. And I just kind of kept taking each step that was put in front of me. It's like, okay, you know, I think that that is going in the direction I want to go. So that's what I'm going to do. I I love hearing that because as you remember, so much of our, some of our conversations were a feeling of like stuckness or not quite knowing, not quite knowing what that step was going to be. Yeah. It was really, when we talked, um, there was a big shift. It, It just, um, kind of opened some st- some stuff up in me. Just, um, yeah, it 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 made me realize the struggle that I was having. That I think that there had been a time when I had just been pushing through, and maybe when there's a crisis, we go into a little bit of shock and get a little bit of. Uh, we have to numb some of our senses mm. in order to survive the crisis and that your call was the wake-up call like right I'm not in crisis anymore I can start shifting it's you know I've, I've got something I'm okay and it's time to start moving did you have a moment when you like were ready to close the door on the studio for the last time you turned around and looked and thought about all that you'd learned about yourself in there <laughs> You know, I definitely stood in my studio and looked around and thought about all that had happened there, all of all that I'd brought myself through. Mm. And yeah, you know, there's a piece of of what I was doing there that was really hard, and, and that was really the the not being able to be honest um, with everybody in my life. Mm-hmm. That's was just that was what really ate at me. But other than that, it really was a great gift that I was able to to take care of my family 
and save some money and have flexibility to be present for my family. That was a huge gift. Do you have do you expect to to maintain any kind of relationship with some of your past clients? Um yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There there are there are some people who have become friends and um yeah. And this is this might seem like an odd question, but I'm I'm just sort of wondering um if if being um physically appealing and and attractive that's no longer a key part of the work that uh-huh. you do for money. Like yeah. have you found are you like are you giving yourself more liberties at how you take care of your appearance or, you know, shaving your legs less or have you done anything? Are you doing anything <laughs> differently in terms of how you look? Sure. Um, I am shaving my legs less. Yes. I just took a shower <laughs> and I didn't shave my legs. <laughs> that is freedom. <laughs> I know. So awesome. <laughs> Go back to long, hairy legs during the winter. Um <laughs> But yeah, I am wearing less makeup, I guess, and spending a little less time with that. But I'll I'll still keep plucking my eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) That was the last time I talked with Emma. All the contact info I had for her, emails and other online accounts, were pseudonyms related to her former career. She and I have not been in touch for several years now. I like to imagine she's finished grad school and that this story is just part of a chapter she's closed the door on. Wherever you are, I wish you well, Emma. And you have my number, so shoot me a text to tell us how you're doing. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Katie Bishop and me. The rest of our team in 2022 is Liliana Maria Percy Ruiz, Zoe Azule, Afi Yellow Duke, Lindsay Foster Thomas, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Lily Clark. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram at Anna Sale Picks, that's P I C S, and the show is at Death Sex Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Lindsay Malfress in Atlanta, Georgia, for being a member of Death, Sex, and Money and supporting us with a monthly donation. Join Lindsay and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.